0: Never laugh as a hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in bloody sheets to drop you six feet underneath. They put you in a pine wood box and cover you up. This week, we're discussing the Banana Massacre, the massacre of United Fruit Company workers that occurred after a strike began on November 12th. 1928, when the workers ceased to work until the company would reach an agreement with them to grant them dignified working conditions. Listener discretion is always advised all aboard the Midnight Train. Hello, passengers, and welcome to the Midnight Train podcast, where we bring the dark to light. Yes, we make fun of and joke about creepy shit while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer, and uh, with me on the phone, actually, is uh, it's Mr. Moody. What's up, dude? Going on, buddy. So, uh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving, and uh, life is hectic right now. We're all, all over the place, so, but we decided we're going to do this episode, and we're going to do it like this. Logan is not going to be with us, because apparently he has to be up at the butt crack of dawn for his job, so, you know. What a pussy. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to, you know, just go through this, and we're going to talk about something uh, that I didn't know anything about, and uh, yeah, it seems pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. I was doing all the research for it. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how is this not more of like a well-toed thing, dude? Right.
0: Yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty nuts, man. Yeah, it's pretty weird. So we're gonna save the business shit until the end. All right, so let's get into it here. So let's turn down the lights, adjust our seats, grab a drink, and let's get um, I guess not really spooky, but really messed up. But first, here's a toast to all you beautiful motherfuckers. Right. So groovy. That is a good one. I love like it, man. <laughs> so we're gonna get into that was something written, written and made by you,
1: right? That's that's
0: your song. Yes, that is my song. Yes, I wrote that specifically for this uh, this podcast. That's right. Little little beats like little beats. So we're gonna get into something a little bit different this week. Not really true crime, not really unsolved, but definitely crazy. This is another one we got from a listener that we had no clue ever happened. Well, the official death toll of this incident is usually put around forty five. Some estimates say it could be up to two thousand, and that's insane. Mm-hmm. Those bodies are said that- um Go ahead. The official the
1: official death toll by like the actual government was like nine or seven. But uh most people put it at like thirty five. And there's so a guy wrote a book about this. There's like is this um he used this incident as a uh, as a catalyst for the book, and he puts the death toll like three thousand. Jesus. So like a lot of it is somewhere. A lot of people basically figure it's somewhere in between, and I'll talk about it later. I didn't put them in here, but I'm going to talk about. It. There were letters from um, their government to our government that basically say that at least a thousand people died, and uh, you can find those letters. I didn't put them in here but uh, I'll post pictures of them and stuff later on. So you can find the letters that were sent from their government to, to our government officials about it that put the death toll at least over a thousand.
0: That's insane. Well, those bodies are said to either have been dumped in the sea or buried in mass graves. So what was the incident about, you ask? Well, long story very short, bananas. Yes, Bananas. We're going to dive into what is simply known as the Banana Massacre, a crazy tale of a government squashing a banana strike with excessive force and, of course, what came after. So buckle up, guys. Here we go. And like I said, this is – this. I was completely – somebody uh, – one of our listeners actually told us to check this out, and when I saw it, I was like, what – like, it just, uh-huh. it's crazy. So, before we start, we do want to acknowledge the great sources of info for this episode. 90% of the information on this week's episode came from two amazing sources that had tons of info that we couldn't find anywhere else. First, a paper by, uh, I'm going to say his name is Jorge Enrique Elias uh, Elias Caro. I'm going <laughs> to, I, I, I think I got that right. And Antonino Vidal Ortega. Okay, on the website, Mm -hmm. cielo.org. And uh, that was our source for the actual massacre info, while an article uh, called Rotten Fruit by Peter Chapman on the Financial Times website was our source for the company history. All right, so everybody knows out there. And please go check those things out as well, too. So let's start off here by talking about a fruit company, United Fruit Company, to be exact, which I'd never heard of before. Have you heard of that? Uh, Not that particular company, but you've definitely heard of who they are now. Okay. Uh, so they're they're actually... We'll, fi- we'll find out later. And they're still in business? Technically, yeah. Oh, my God. So United Fruit began life in the 1870s when miner Cooper Keith, a wealthy young New Yorker, started growing bananas as a business sideline alongside a railway line he was building in Costa Rica. Both ventures took off, and by 1890, he was married to the daughter of a former president of Costa Rica and owned vast banana plantations on land given to him by the state. The guy's doing well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the bananas were shipped to New Orleans and Boston, where demand soon began to outstrip supply. Keith teamed up with uh, Andrew Preston, a Boston importer, and in 1899 they formed United Fruit. Bananas sold well for their uh, you know tropical cachet. They were exotic, a luxury only affordable to the rich. And if you think about that, back in 1899, like we think of bananas, as like they're just bananas. You know what I mean? But back yeah. then they were probably like, ooh, look at this exotic thing coming in, and it's phallically oh, yeah, shaped.
1: Dude. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the other thing I, I found out by reading this is, like, we didn't have bananas over here until that, like, I guess, recent, if, if you think about it. You know what I mean? Like, you would think, it's one of those things you think of, like, oh, yeah, fucking bananas. We have bananas. So it was like, man, it was like the 18, like, late 1800s before we fucking had bananas over here. You
0: no, know, it's not like they're grown in the United States, right? I mean, we don't really grow bananas oh, right, here. Oh, right. yeah. 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 Yeah, it's weird to think about. But the rapidly rising... <laughs> Good.
1: I would say it's just not one of those things you think about. You
0: know what I mean? It's just right. like, that, yeah, fruit. Take it for granted. Like we got bananas. Yeah, I like bananas. I love bananas. A question: Do you like them semi-ripe, ripe, or overly ripe?
1: Um, I'll take them from like ripe to like kind of squishy, but not gross squishy.
0: Yeah. See, I can't do that in my mind. He still had to be kind of green. They got to have like. Oh, yeah. They got When you bite into it, it's got to have some substance to it. That's just. I don't, I, that's how I like my nanners.
1: I know you just take them down in one whole bite, though, So that's that's
0: true. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) You just shove them down there. Yeah, yeah, that's the luxury of no gag reflexes. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. (laughs) So, the rapidly rising output of the United Fruits plantations brought down prices. The company created a bass market in uh, industrial cities of the U.S., Northeast, and Midwest. And the once, uh, oh, man, what is this word? Bourgeois? Bourgeois? Bourgeois. bourgeois. I don't think, I, I know the word, but I've never seen it spelled before, I, I don't think. I was
1: going to say, uh, when you see it spelled, you're like, what is
0: Borgio Yes, the Borgios banana, became positively proletarian. So that's Ooh. how you spell bourgeois, huh? So then everyone should be bourgeois, spelling bougie, right? B-O-U-R-G-I-E. Technically, yes. Yes, see, you guys are all spelling bougie wrong. There's an R in there, and it's silent. That's right. You guys learned something today. So by the yeah, 1920s, United Fruits Empire had spread across Central America. It also included Jamaica, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic in South America. Right near the beach, <laughs> Jamaica, man. In South America, if I wasn't Jamaican, why would I this hat? <laughs> and why would I have this banana? <laughs> in South America, the company owned chunks of Colombia and Ecuador. It came to dominate the European as well as the U.S. banana market um, with the help of its great white fleet of 100 refrigerated ships, the largest private navy in the world. That's crazy! Yeah,
1: for some fucking banana.
0: Holy shit! (laughs) So this is like no joke, man. Like, they they were... Nah, they weren't fucking around. Yeah, they were balling. There are more than 300 (laughs) varieties of banana, but United uh, Fruit grew only one. The Gross... uh, Is it Mitchell? Gross Michael... Yes, I think it's Michelle. Michelle, but it's Big yeah. Mike, right? Is Michelle? Yeah, like translating it would be Big Mike. Oh my God! So you have a phallic shaped fruit and you call it Big Mike.
1: <laughs> you know what's funny? I didn't even think about that until just now. You said that. Yeah, that's
0: fucked up. <laughs> They're looking around. All the guys are like, "Hey, what do you guys want to call this thing?" I don't know. And then the wife kind of raises her hand. She's like, "I like Big Mike." <laughs> <laughs> ah
1: then then everyone like they're in the middle of eating bananas they're just like
0: yeah yeah i'm done with that thank you i
1: don't think i want to eat these
0: anymore i'll never eat another banana so this variety (laughs) suited most taste it was not too big or too small too yellow or too sweet if anything it was a little bland this was the forerunner of the transnational products that we have today so this is what they started off with when they came over to the united states
1: Right. That is not, that is not the banana that we have now as, as you know, that we eat on a normal basis. It's a, it's a different strain of banana. Different
0: the story. big,
1: the big Mike, the big <laughs> Mike, I, I think we talk. I think I talked about it later, but the, uh, the big Mike is actually gone. Like they're, they they do not grow that anymore. It's completely wiped out.
0: Oh man. They killed big
1: Mike. Well, there was a, I think they call it like the Panama virus, the Panama something or other, but it's a, basically it wasn't very hardy and after a while it got wiped out by disease.
0: Oh shit! Right. Um,
1: so, dude, I know so much fucking about bananas that I don't care to know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that's, that's I good. Guess, like some disease wipes it out, and then uh, <laughs> scientists basically created a new strain of banana to try to make it hardier and to last longer. Of course, and they that's did. what we eat, and that's what we eat now.
0: Yeah, um, of course they did.
1: So, but they're but they're also saying that the banana that we eat now is probably going the way of the big Mike uh, at some point so they're working on trying to find at currently i guess they're working on like a new type of banana
0: that oh. they can grow and not have to worry about it so it's probably going to have a vaccine in it anyways i now know like everything <laughs> about fucking bananas so <laughs> so mass production took its toll in 1903 disease hit united fruits plantations in panama an array of pathogens kept up the attack, and the banana was discovered to have a genetic weakness. This is what you were talking about right here, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, its Thanks. seeds are ill-equipped for reproduction, so growers take cuttings uh, from one plant to create another. The banana is a clone, which each inbred generation less resilient. I guess that kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Right. It's like right. you know, if we keep inbreeding ourselves, we're gonna you know have a bunch of dummies floating around. Or is that you what you end I up with? You- you end up with Logan. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so although the banana was diseased, United Fruit marketed it as a product that exemplified good health. Banana diseases did not affect humans, and the fruit was said to be the cure for many ills. Obesity, blood pressure, constipation, even depression. Oh, you're depressed? Have a banana, bitch. <laughs> In 1929, United Fruit set up its own education department, which supplied U.S. schools with teaching kits, uh, teaching kits extolling the benefits of the banana and the good works of the company. Meanwhile, United Fruit's home economics department showered housewives with bananas, bleh, banana recipes. I mean, yeah, because yeah, it's a new fruit, right? I mean, yeah, you want to. Yeah. What better way than to get all the housewives involved, darling? I made you good a right, a banana bread. I do love banana
1: bread. I fucking love banana bread. Yeah,
0: banana pudding. Banana pudding's good.
1: Danny, Danny, I don't know how, like, I don't know where she got the recipe, but her her fucking recipe for banana bread is the shit. And I always ask her to make it. She never makes
0: it. Yeah, it's so good. So yeah. one of United Fruit's most successful advertising campaigns began in 1944, designed to boost the bananas' profile after its scar- scarcity during the war. It featured Senorita Chiquita banana. I remember that. Ooh. A cartoon banana who danced and sang in an exuberant Latin style. Senorita Chaquita bore a close resemblance to Carmen Miranda, the Brazilian entertainer who, in her tutti-frutti hat, wowed Hollywood at the time. Sales soon regained uh, pre-war levels. I, I actually remember, um, do, do they still have her? She's still on the stickers, yeah. She is? Okay. So by the 1960s, yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, how'd the song go? I am. Uh, uh, my name is Ch- uh, the Banana, and I come to. This- ah, I can't remember how it goes now. <laughs> she used to have a song. She used to have a song. That's so funny. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> so by the 1960s, the-, the banana had become an inseparable accompaniment to the morning cereal of most American children. And well, that's because uh. cereal tasted like shit back then. and You had to throw all that stuff in there.
1: Well, yeah, you had you had Cheerios, and that was about it. Yeah, and it- there's like Cheerios are bland as fuck.
0: Yeah, cornflakes. Ugh. I do like cornflakes. Yeah, I got to put so much shit on top of them. And today, oh, yeah, you know, like like with uh, with uh, Cheerios, you got, you know, a little sugar on there, a little banana in there. You're fucking rolling, dude. Oh, yeah. See, that's good. See, that sounds good. I'd fuck up sure. a bowl of cereal right now. That sounds awesome.
1: I'm looking at like a whole bag of Cheerios <laughs> right now, actually.
0: <laughs> and today, in countries such as the U.S. and Britain, it has ousted the apple as the most popular fruit. In the UK, figures indicate that more than 95% of households buy bananas each week and that more money is spent on them than on any other supermarket item apart from petrol, gas, and lottery tickets.
1: (laughs) Isn't that crazy, dude? More people buy bananas than fucking lottery tickets. That's in the UK, though. That's not in the United States.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. So it sounds like a pretty typical big business rise to power by providing a wholesome treat to the people, right? Well... Right. absolutely yep nope, oh. sorry nope mm-mm. yeah there was more going on than almost everybody like that, well yeah you know you gotta you gotta keep listening you gotta keep listening <laughs> all right all right so there was a lot more going on behind the scenes here over the years united fruit fought hard for low taxes and light regulation by the beginning of the 20th century troublesome antitrust laws had been passed in the u.s to crack down on business behavior such as price fixing and other monopolistic practices Taxes on large corporations were increased to fund welfare benefits in the U.S. and fully fledged welfare states in Europe. But with a center of operations far from the lawmakers of Washington, D.C., United Fruit largely avoided all this. But of course they did. You can't can't reach me, United States. So the the company also gained a reputation as being ruthless when crossed and acted to remove governments that did not comply with its wishes. Oh, my God. It's like the freaking mob. It's a banana mob.
1: Uh Dude, it legitimately, it like, you'll hear more about it, but it's like, so essentially like the banana fucking, uh, I'll call it a cartel, I guess, literally has like funded governments and wars in fucking, in those countries just for their own interests. It's, it's insane. Like banana company, like, especially like the United Fruit, like they fucking like ran like Central America and shit for a long time.
0: It's fucking insane, man. That's wild. United Fruit had first shown its tough nature in the invasion of Honduras in 1911, which was planned by Sam the Banana Man Zamuri, a business partner of United Fruit who later headed the company, the Banana Man. That's amazing. Efforts by Zamuri... Wasn't there a cartoon? There's a cartoon, Banana Man. What the fuck was that on? All I remember is peanut butter jelly time.
1: No, this was like when I was was in the 90s. Fucking Banana Man. That's going to kill me until I figure it out. Banana? I don't remember. I want to say it was a nickel. I don't know if it was like Doug or one of those shows. Like they had a dude on there named Banana Man. I can't remember what
0: it was. Yeah, I I don't know. I'll
1: figure it out. Whatever.
0: I'm older than you are, so I I had the Flintstones. That's what I had, so. (laughs) Yeah. So efforts by Zamuri and United Fruit to set up production in Honduras had been blocked by the Honduran government, which was fearful of the power it might wield. United Fruit was not so easily deterred. Zamuri financed an invasion led by such enterprising types as General Lee Christmas and freelance troubleshooter guy, uh, wait, excuse me, guy machine gun Maloney. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, this doesn't this sound straight up like mafia shit right now. Yeah, absolutely. And this, machine gun Maloney, dude, come yeah. on. Thanks to United Fruit, many more exercises in regime change were carried out in the name of the banana. Oh my god, over bananas. <laughs> I know. What <laughs> the <laughs> fuck. That's a lot of money, man. That's yeah. banana money, bro. In 1941, the company hired a new consultant, Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, who had adapted the early disciplines of psychoanalysis to the marketplace. Bernays is known as the father of public relations following his seminal 1928 book, Propaganda, in which he argued that it was the duty of the intelligent minority of society to manipulate the unthinking group mind. This, Bernays asserted, was this uh, for the sake of freedom and democracy. So this guy's now sticking his nose in this shit. Yep. United Fruit had become concerned about its image. In Central America, it was commonly known as El Pupo, a.k.a. the octopus. Its tentacles oh. everywhere. In the U.S., United Fruit's territories were seen as troubled and for, uh, forbidding. Under Bernays' guidance, the company began issuing a steady flow of information to the media about its work, rebranding the region as Middle America. So, so, this, so this guy's the one that's helping him kind of like... So behind the scenes, these guys yeah, are going in and like fucking shit up
1: sweeping it under the rug, and he's just kind of like, oh, we're like, yeah, sure, you know, we're basically financing wars over here for bananas, but it's, no, it's all good. Just don't look over here, look over here.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so wild. In 1954, Bernays ex, uh, exercised his manipulative powers to get rid of the Guatemalan government. Democratically elected, it had taken some of United Fruit's large areas of an unused land to give to peasant farmers. Bernays' response was to call newspaper contacts who might be uh, amenable to the company view. Journalists were sent on fact-finding missions in Central America and, in particular, Guatemala, where they chased false stories of gunfire and bombs in dispatched homes. Guatemala became a place gripped by communist terror, and that's because of this guy. He they they legitimately ousted an entire government of Guatemala,
1: a fucking food company.
0: Man, bananas.
1: And they they, were, a they joke. were spinning it. They basically spun all of this stuff. So like so basically you gotta think about the time and everything, and you gotta think about uh, the Americans at the time, and then they spun everything as basically being communist, right? To try to get the Americans to be like, oh, they're fucking communists, like fuck them, you know?
0: That is that is insane. <laughs> That's so crazy. I've never yeah. heard of this. The company yeah. looked to to friends in high places, both in the corridors of power and in the offices where the big decisions were being made. During the Guatemalan crisis, John Foster Dulles, one of the world's most esteemed statesmen, was Secretary of State. His brother Alan Dulles was head of the CIA. Both were former or former legal farmers. Both were former legal <laughs> advisors to United Fruit. Together, the Dulles brothers orchestrated the coup that overthrew Guatemala's government in 1954. Holy shit! These these motherfuckers have the CIA on their side. Well, all you got to do is just say communism. You know what I mean? That's it. Like you said, well,
1: not only that, they that they said that uh, Dulles, the guy that was the head of the CIA at the time, used to be their legal advisor.
0: That is so wild. So
1: they, they legit have, like, they can just make a phone call and they got the head of the fucking CIA in their pocket if they need them. It's so weird. And they used them, a fucking fruit company used the head of the CIA to organize a coup to overthrow the Guatemalan government.
0: You think they were just pushing fruit? Sounds to me like they were pushing fruit. other shit. I'm sure there was other shit involved, but. There was big big Mike, and then there was big freaking cocaine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, like that's the thing. Like, I didn't really like. I that's it crossed my mind too. Like, they were using it, but like, I didn't
1: see anything that like tried to connect it. Uh, granted, I didn't get too far into that, but like, I kind of looked and like, because I felt this, I'm like, there's got to be something more going on to this. Like, this is fucking crazy, man. But like, I didn't see shit about like. There was never anything saying that they were, like, suspected in, like, the drug trade or anything like that. It was just all about fucking bananas, dude. That's
0: crazy. Despite its ugly reputation, United Fruit often made philanthropic gestures. Eli Black, chief executive of the United Fruit Company, played a part in coining the term corporate social responsibility. When in reference to earthquake relief sent to Nicaragua in 1972, he extolled the company's deeds as our social responsibility. And in the 1930s, Sam Zimmeray donated part of his fortune to a children's clinic in New Orleans. He later gave $1 million to the city's uh, Tulane University to finance middle American research. He also funded a Harvard professorship for women, uh, philanthropy, um, philanthropy, philanthropy, (laughs) I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, philanthropy, philanthropy. (laughs) philanthropy. However, did not. Philanthropy! (laughs) philanthropy, (laughs) However, (laughs) did not prevent United Fruit's abuses. And in the 1950s, the U.S. government decided it had to act. The company's activities had caused such um, anti U.S. feeling in Latin America that left wing revolutionaries such as Fidel Castro and Che Guevara had prospered. And so, Washington began to take away some of United Fruit's land. Well, of course, they see you're in bed with some of, you know, communist leaders and shit they're gonna say something about it yeah 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 Yeah. ironically castro had benefited from the presence of united fruit in cuba his father a sugar planter leased land from the company and had made enough money to afford a good upbringing for his children Guevara had um uh it's Guevara, right
1: i think so i mean it's either gu or Guá, but i don't know exactly
0: yeah, I always thought Quite, of,
1: quite first, frankly, I never cared enough about that guy to give a shit.
0: Chi, so. and that's where everyone always wears those shirts, free Chi and shit. Yeah. Yeah, stupid. So Guevara had fought both United Fruit and the CIA during the Guatemalan coup. He maintained thereafter that Latin America had no choice but armed struggle. At New Year on um, 1959, Castro and Guevara seized power in Cuba and kicked out the U.S. supported regime of Folgencio Batista. So they overthrew that. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yep. Like like an ailing dictator, United Fruit lashed out and nearly took the world with it. In 1961, it lent part of its great white fleet to the CIA and Cuban exiles in the U.S. who were plotting to overthrow Castro. When the Bay of Pigs invasion failed, which we should probably do a, 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 at least a bonus on the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, i would be cool with that. Yeah, because what a clusterfuck. Castro, fearing another attack, ushered in armaments from the uh, Soviet Union, prompting the missile crisis of 1962. Again, this all stemmed from bananas.
1: <laughs> yeah, so basically, I mean, that, that I guess technically that didn't stem straight from bananas, but they, a fucking, a fruit company, had a hand in the fucking Bay of Pigs invasion and fucking in the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is nuts.
0: Yeah, that's just wild that you, you've you got that big of a fleet of ships that you can actually lend them to the CIA for an invasion. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. That's crazy. So United Fruit battled on through the 1960s. It's a product uh, evermore the victim of disease. Big Mike flagged, died, and gave way to the dessert banana most of the developed world eats today, the Cavendish. I didn't know that was the name of our banana. Go. It's called the yeah. Ca- uh, we, uh, we eat the old Cavendish. The old Cavendish. It's better than eating the Big Mike. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I'd rather eat a cabinet than a big
1: Mike personally.
0: Yeah. It it was said to be disease resistant. Now um I, as you mentioned earlier, that's actually dying off too. So Eli yep. Black took over the company in nineteen seventy, imagining he could turn it back into the colossus it once was. The early <laughs> nineteen <laughs> I laugh because I know it I laugh because I know what happened. Oh. The early nineteen seventies, <laughs> however, were a terrible period for the image of multinational corporations. Chief among them, oil companies made huge profits from the crisis um, after the 1973 Middle East War to the in- inflationary, infla- inflationary, 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 inflationary. Dude, you are all over the place today. In And I haven't <laughs> drank anything yet. Yeah. It's so funny. I know. If it makes you feel better, I am at home mm-hmm. and I am making dinner. Yeah. Are you drinking? I'm drinking a High Yeah, I got a High fucking... son of a bitch.
1: I mean, we're, we're doing the show, right? I yeah. Know.
0: Yeah. Good for you. So yeah. this ruin of rich and poor countries alike. So they were in there just, it, it fucked up a bunch of shit other than obviously oh, the yeah. the, uh, the oil companies. United Fruit became an embarrassment. It was weak where others, such as the oil moguls, uh, remained strong. When its stock market value crashed and regulators moved in, it looked like natural selection. So basically we're like, ah, eh, fuck them, they're gone, right? Pretty much, yeah. Early on Monday, February 3rd, 1975, a man threw himself out of his office window 44 floors above Park Avenue, New York. He had used his briefcase to smash the window. and I said briefcase. <laughs> Bruce the Barber briefcase? I love that guy. Anyway, he used his briefcase to smash the window and then threw it, thrown it out before he <laughs> leaves. Did
1: you say it again on purpose?
0: Yes. Okay. His I was going to
1: say, like, dude, really?
0: Yeah, his briefcase. Um, <laughs> he scattered papers for blocks around. Glass fell onto the uh, rush hour traffic, but amazingly, no one else was hurt. The body landed away from the road near a Postal Service office. Postman helped emergency workers clear up the best so the day's business could carry on. This jumper was quickly identified as, you guessed it, Eli Black, chief executive of the United Fruit Company. Oof. It emerged that Black... Now you know why I was laughing. Yeah. It emerged that Black, a devout family man, had bribed the Honduran president Oswaldo Lopez-Ariano... With one point two five million dollars to encourage him to pull out of a banana cartel, which opposed United Fruit. so there's another banana cartel.
1: oh, yeah, dude, banana banana cartels are fucking everywhere, apparently. I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess
0: so that's fucking wild. <laughs> the story was about to come out like it's so it's so weird to think about that. Like you think you hear the word cartel? What's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Like fucking cr- drug, cocaine, fucking drug yeah. cartels, all the Mexican drug and like no, nah, it's,
0: it's, it's banana cartels too. And it sounds like they rival drug cartels at this point. Yeah, that's insane. I never heard about this. So the story was about to come out in the U.S. press about him giving the money to the uh, Honduran president here. United Fruit's Central American plantations were also struggling with hurricane damage and a new banana disease. Yikes. Facing disgrace and failure, Black took his own life. His death was shocking, not least because he had the reputation of a highly moral man. Wall Street was outraged, the company's shares crashed, and regulators seized its books to prevent its further violation of the law. The company subsequently disappeared from public view and was seemingly erased from the collective mind. All right, so that that, that kind of, yeah, that would suck when your CEO decides to just bail out of a freaking window.
1: Say, so chuck himself out of the window, and yeah, yeah. that's kind of, you, know,
0: you know shit's going downhill when that happens. So would you say he did a banana split? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's uh, fucking horrible. Uh ah, more like a banana smash. I think it was splat. more
1: like a, more like a, I was going to say like a banana
0: smash. Yeah. So, so after, after the fall of the of uh, the Berlin Wall in 1989 and a born again spirit of globalization, the world's main banana companies picked up the free market banner once again carried by uh, or once carried by United Fruit. The companies Chiquita, Del Monte and Dole from the US and Naboa from uh, Ecuador. And I've heard of all those, Chiquita, Del Monte, and Dole, right? I mean, they're like our biggest fruit companies right.
1: here. Yeah, yeah. And actually, so I don't know if, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I say it, but in, just in case I fucked up, but uh, Chiquita is essentially what United Fruit like, turned into. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we talk about it later because uh, somebody's still doing some pretty fucked up stuff, but, you know, we'll leave that for later.
0: All right. Well, they did not have anything like the force of uh, United Fruit individually, but they were still a formidable presence. Together, they were known to their critics, if not themselves, as the Wild Bunch. Oh man, I just, yeah, I just, I can't envision a bunch of fruit companies being <laughs> just these tough guys you know what i mean i just Dude, can't
1: can we can we just take a moment to appreciate the pun by the way the wild bunch
0: yeah get it a like,
1: bunch of fucking quote-unquote banana cartels right uh calling themselves a the wild bunch yeah a
0: little bit on the yeah. nose there don't you think yeah i yeah.
1: think so my dog just stuck on my foot by the
0: way oh nice in the 1990s the 1990s the u.s took its case to the world trade organization the new high court of globalization The companies protested that West European countries unfairly protected the producers of so-called fair trade bananas in former European colonies through a complex system of quotas and licenses. The Wild Bunch characterized this as revamped colonialism and outmoded welfare statism and instead promoted their own free trade bananas. Also, they're doing their own fucking thing. They were like, fuck you and your fair trade. Yeah, pretty much. In the uh, new millennium, after what had become a general trade war, the Europeans backed down and agreed to concessions. They did so with some rancor. Rancor. Oh my god! I love that word. I just think of the the Jedi, the rancor. You know, they got the big monster in the. Uh... Is, it, is that
1: the garbage pit
0: guy? Yes. Yes, the rancor. That's
1: the big yeah. No, yeah. no, no. He's the guy like, that's mean, in the,
0: I... He's in the dungeon where uh, where Luke has to go and fight him at Jabba's. Uh, not the pit guy.
1: Who's the guy in the like the garbage chute where they go down the garbage chute? Isn't that the rancor?
0: N- no, that's in that's in regular Star Wars. That's a New uh, New Hope. No. no, I don't fucking know. Whatever. Rancor is the big looking, big stupid beast that he ends up throwing the rock at and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know what he looks I thought he, was a, I thought he was a garbage kid guy, though. I don't know. No. I don't fucking know what I'm talking about when it comes to Star
0: Wars, dude. <laughs> you so, know that. Right. Well, you know, some of us can be cool. Some of us can't. So, fine. <laughs> so protesting that Washington had again allowed itself to be manipulated by narrow interests. Some spoke of a return of the old and dark forces. They were thinking of United Fruits. So they were afraid United Fruit was going to start doing their shit again, right?
1: Or like they were, because United Fruit wasn't really, I mean, they weren't really what they were, but they were, yeah, basically afraid that all these other companies are going to kind of, you know, pick up that mantle and just fucking be like, all right, well, I guess we're banana cartels again. So,
0: Okay, so that right there is the basic history of United Fruit Company uh, to get us going through uh, in the right direction here to talk about one of the most brutal things they carried out in on their workers. You've seen the connection just they remember, had. Remember, this whole thing is about fucking bananas, dude. Right, and it's all, it's just a, it's a big banana company. So, yep. on the evening of uh, October 5th, 1928, the delegates for Columbia's banana workers in Magdalena gathered to discuss their grievances. Among the g- concerns were their long hours and low pay. One worker, um, uh, Aris, ah, Aristeres Lopez-Rojano, remembered, quote, we worked from six in the morning until 11, and then from one in the afternoon until six. The contractor paid the salary and reserved up to 30% for himself. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Erasmo Coronel, Car- the one wearing the bow tie in the uh, oh, oh, in the group portrait that I posted, he actually was wearing the uh, the bow tie in that. Yeah. He, yep. spoke, he spoke in favor of a strike, and the others agreed. At around 5 in the morning on October 6, 1928, the workers issued the United Fruit Company a list of nine demands. Would you like to hear those demands? I would love to hear those demands. Good. Good. So first, let's see here. Stop their practice of hiring through subcontractors. Okay, makes sense. They've got their own guys. So
1: that's basically almost like, uh, I feel like that's like a temp, like how, how people use temp services right now.
0: Right. Um, you know, basically the same thing. Right. Mandatory collective insurance. Okay, so everybody gets yep. insurance. Compensation, yeah, you, compensation for work accidents. Sounds right. All right. Hygienic yeah, dormitories yeah, and six day work weeks. Uh, work weeks, okay. So they want their places where they're staying at to be <laughs> hygienic, and they don't yeah, want to work seven guess, days a week.
1: I guess from some of the stuff I was reading, like the uh, the conditions were like just fucking terrible. Like they were the places they were living were like falling apart, and they were fucking dirty and gross. And there's yeah, I guess it was like real bad.
0: They also wanted an increase in daily pay for workers who earned less than one hundred pesos per month. Okay. I don't know what yeah. what's 100 pesos? Is that like is that like 5 I don't know I,
1: I mean I don't know what it is now, but I'm assuming it still wasn't much compared to our dollars of time either.
0: Yeah, it's uh well, let's see here. Uh right now one uh Mexican peso is worth uh 47 cents American. 47 so, cents? 47 cents, yeah.
1: So that would be $4.70. Right. For 100 pesos.
0: Yeah. That's Oh, and that's today's money.
1: And that's for ten. That, and that's for 10 hours of work.
0: Yeah, that's today's money, too. And that's per yeah. month, dude. <laughs> what? Oh, no, no. It says daily pay for workers who earned less than, yeah, 100 pesos per month. That's insane. 100 pesos a month, yeah. Oh they were God. making, in today's money, the equivalent of $4.70 a month. That is crazy. Yeah, well, it's nuts, dude. Then they wanted a weekly wage. Okay. Makes sense. Terrible. Abolition yep. of office, uh, office stores, abolition of payment through coupons rather than money, improvement of Which hospital is, services,
1: and that was something that was really popular back in the day. Like, uh, like even in America, like when like mining towns and stuff like that, they would set up company stores, and you would get paid in scripts for the stores. Like, so instead of them paying you a hundred pesos a month, they would give you a hundred pesos worth of like coupons that you could only spend at company stores. So they're paying you, and then you're giving them that money right back.
0: Oh, that sucks. It's like the commissary in yeah. prison.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's, it's Exactly. Except at least in a commissary in prison, you're getting money from the outside. Like, this was like, you worked your ass off, they gave you money, but you can only give them that money back. Like, you can't spend it
0: anywhere else. That is, that's insane. So all so of those things. Just a way it, for it, them to basically not have to pay you, technically. Right. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, and all those things sound reasonable. You know what I mean? It doesn't sound like they're oh, asking for anything outlandish. It doesn't sound like they're nope. asking for, you know, it sounds like they just want, you know, kind of like now where people they just want equal pay. Like,
1: you know, they want to be treated like fucking human beings.
0: Right. So the strike... Ah, heaven for heaven forbid. I know, right? So the strike turned into the largest labor movement ever witnessed in the country until then. Radical members of the Liberal Party as well as members of the Socialist and Communist parties participated. The workers wanted to be recognized as employees and demanded the implementation of the Colombian legal framework of the 1920s. Okay, they wanted to be included. After U.S. officials in Colombia and United Fruit representatives portrayed the workers' strike as communist with a subversive tendency in telegrams to Frank B. Kellogg, the United States Secretary of State. You guys probably know that name, Kellogg, right? The uh, United States government threatened to invade with the U.S. Marine Corps if the Colombian government did not act to protect United (laughs) Fruit's interests. Holy shit. We threatened to invade a country over fucking bananas. And only because Because, the workers wanted to to live like a normal human being. Because in in our mind,
1: it was in our best interest if we went over there and fucked up all their workers so we didn't have to pay them more money and treat them like human beings. Oh my God. This is like, this whole story too is like a microcosm of every major corporation. And just imagine like how much worse it is
0: like now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's insane. Well, at least pff, shit, back then though, it's like now at least there's like, at least media and stuff where back then it's not like, you know, it's going to catch wind and, you know, on the TV because there was no TV and shit back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. They can kind of like yeah. just, you know, brush it underneath the rug and be done with it. It was a lot, yeah, it was a lot easier to hide. Right. Certain things. Well, the Colombian government was also compelled to work for the interest of the company, considering they could cut off trade of Colombian bananas with significant markets such as the United States and Europe. As there was no agreement, yep. uh, the government militarized the zone. The newspaper La Prensa published the following quote. More troops for the uh, ben- ah, the Bananera. Ben- ah, ben- <laughs> there it is. More troops for the Bananera region. We have been informed that the leaving of the commissioner sent by the industri- uh, industry ministry due to the existing conflict between the workers and the company has turned the situation critical. For this reason, the war ministry ordered the concentration of more troops in Cienaga. Therefore, yesterday night, a numerous contingent was dispatched from here on a special ship, end quote. Yikes, so they're trying to, like, bring in more people to to, to fight the, the workers?
1: Yeah, essentially they're militarizing the zone so they can use their military to fight, basically, to squash this fucking thing. Because they don't want it to happen. Because now you gotta think, like, you're getting, not only are your workers technically, you know, quote-unquote, unruly and causing trouble, um... But then you have the United States on your ass saying, look, if you don't figure this out, we're going to fucking come over there with our goddamn Navy and we're going to fuck you guys up. Jeez. And then on top of that, you have, so there, so in response, basically their, their government was like, no, 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 we'll take care of it. Like you guys, it's cool. We got this. And they just increased their military presence and made, they called it like the banana zone, made the banana zone into a military zone.
0: That is so, and again, All about bananas, folks. All about bananas.
1: I mean, I guess in the greater, the greater Scoville things, it's all about money.
0: Right. Well, yeah.
1: It's it's fucking banana money. Like, it's legitimately just,
0: it's banana money. So, would you say that this entire story is bananas?
1: You know, I was going to
0: make a pun. (laughs) I was going to make the bananas pun, but I was like, too, I don't easy. Know, that, Too easy, man. Too it, easy. It's you know what? It's low hanging fruit. Bro. Yeah, get it. <laughs> 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 By the end of November, the Magdalena Agriculture Society tried to find a solution to the situation. They named a commission, and along with the chief of the work office and the workers' delegates, would have a meeting with the UFC, uh, since the conflict was affle- um, affecting everyone's interests. Okay. The multinational, yep. uh, the multinational rejected meeting. The commission stating that the workers were out of uh, out of the law. Oh yeah, that they were okay, so they were out of line. Basically, they were within the law. Yeah,
1: they're saying that the workers don't. They're like, we're not doing it because the workers don't have a leg to stand on because what they're doing is technically illegal. Okay, which I don't really see it as whatever. I mean, I didn't know the
0: law. I don't know the laws back then, but and over there, I mean, Jesus, who knows? Yeah, it's a completely different, you know, right setup. So- the representatives of the workers left for Cienaga with the aim of convincing their fellow workers to abandon the region. They also demanded the arbitration as a last legal resort. Social Party, uh, founded a, uh, the PSR, founded in 1927 in Bogota. All right, here The strike was also supported by the national and departmental un- uh, union leaders ascribed to the Magdalena Workers Federation. The Magdalena Worker Union and the General Union of Workers of the Union Society, popular known as the yellow union which integrated railroad railway port and construction workers of Santa Marta so they're just getting everybody in par- uh, like uh in this damn thing so this this was a oh, huge I mean, yeah, deal
1: this, this is a major major thing yeah this isn't just like this isn't like when you fucking just you know a little company around here says fuck you we're going on strike and then it's like you know you never hear anything about it after you know a couple of weeks it's over with you know you just kind of lose track of it and you never hear about it. like this is a fucking this is like it's a strike. Like imagine imagine you own a fucking a decent sized store, a company and you 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 have like 150, 200 workers and they go on strike and then all of a sudden it turns into like a fucking military operation. Yeah,
0: that's, you that's you know what just I mean? wild. Wild.
1: Like this is on a, this is on a bigger scale obviously, but like that's like, you know, say say Best Buy. So say, say Best Buy workers in Ohio went on strike and then they fucking called in like the National Guard. Because, like, these guys went out straight.
0: And potentially calling other countries to come and help.
1: Yeah, like calling another, yeah, it's insane, dude.
0: Yeah. So the first week of December, everything was at a standstill, without a solution. The company hired a steamboat and brought 200 military men and took over the town hall without the mayor's authorization. To this respect, the Cienaga newspaper Diario Diario del uh, Cordoba, sorry, noted, quote, we do not know who ordered changing the townhouse into a campsite of troops, but we are certain that the municipality spokesman was not consulted for this illegal occupation. He would have certainly opposed it since there was no alteration of public order according to the norms in force. We see that the procedures here are manu-military without any consideration under the uh, obvious alarm of these people's panic in society and business, end quote. Damn. So they just came in and took over.
1: Oh yeah, they were just like, all right, you know what? Fuck it, we're just going to do this. You know, because you got to think at this point, like I said, America had, you know, the Americans have been like, look, we're going to come in there, you know, so they're like, okay, we don't want them take over what's going on here because that's just going to cause even more problems for everybody. We'll take care of it. So they just fucking moved in and started doing what they had to do to take over the area.
0: It's just, oh man, this is just insane. Uh, Military roadblocks were displayed. Trains were searched and the army prevented strikers from using, uh, using the the freaking railways and shit. Tension increased and temporary workers started to return to their hometowns. Military pressure blocked the communication systems and the mail. Telephones, telegraph, and even the press stopped working. The strikers seized the train from Cienaga to the plantations and they prevented its exit during the day. So, okay, so now the strikers are actually doing shit.
1: Yeah, they're they're getting in on it too. They're like, you know what, you guys want to do this shit? We got to at least do something to kind of fight back, you know?
0: Yeah, that's wild.
1: (laughs) You're going to take all this shit away from us. We're going to, we got to... We're gonna make it hard, you know. They're gonna make it hard on them to fucking actually. Like, if they're gonna do it, they're gonna have to fuck work for it.
0: On December third, the press was conscious of the extreme situation. The situation of the banana strike is worse than ever, especially because of the uneasiness caused by the governor's office for having called the army. Any kind of meeting was banned, as it was assumed they questioned the state legitimacy and stability in the government decisions. This measure outraged workers because some detentions took place in Cienaga and they were justified by the police since some documents of an apparently communist campaign were confiscated. Oh, boy. From this moment on, American diplomats started to worry for the security of the American employees up to the, the point that the government of the United States sent a ship to Santa Marta for the protection of their citizens, as was stated by the U.S. ambassador in Bogota. He made clear that it was not a war cruise. Anyhow, it was possible to confirm that the ports of Cienaga and Santa Marta warships docked with the aim of reinforcing troops. So now they're sending warships over just to protect people.
1: Yep. Now, so yeah, that's the, basically the United States getting involved. Like, holy crap, we have a lot of people over there. We have people working for these companies. We need to protect our asses on top of everything else. So basically, they kind of, it was like, well, I was like we're going to send these people over. Not a declaration of war. Nothing like that, but we know that we're here and we're going to protect our people.
0: Right. So to break the strike, on December 2nd, a military contingent of 300 men arrived in Cienaga from the interior of the country. The major of the zone considered that these soldiers would be better at facing the situation than those native of the region. At the same time, uh, that same day, some municipalities uh, protested against the uh, disposition of the governor's office. The workers' exodus continued. The general situation of commerce aggravated; many commercial houses closed, and some of them stopped paying their debts, alleging the scarce security conditions and low sales. Similar, similarly, occurred uh, with the stores of the UFC, which closed due to lack of business activity. Well, if you've got no people to work at them or to go to them, of course you're going to close them up. There was yeah, a total yeah, lack, yeah. yeah. There was a total lack of supplies of basic products in the banana zone, so they're I mean, everything's shutting down during this too. Now, okay. So right. when we say Banana Zone, too, we're not talking like a a small little store. We're talking like an entire area of this country, right?
1: Yeah, these are like this is like an entire region of a country. Yeah, this isn't like this isn't like you know a suburb of Cleveland sized area. This is a fucking giant swath of the country, basically. And so you had you had the government moving in, the the like military moving in, then you had people basically fearing for their lives already. So all these people are heading back to where they basically came from. Cause they're like, well, I'm not fucking working. Cause like this shit's getting crazy. So then you had stores shutting down and all this other shit shutting down because everybody was leaving. And then like, it's so it's like this perfect storm of like, like no matter what happens, like everybody is like causing it. It's that ripple effect. Like whatever you do is causing something 10 times worse to happen. So like they're trying to squash this, like this strike and this like rebellion, whatever, but they're just making it worse because even the people that aren't involved now are just like, mm, I'm fucking out of here, man. Like I'm not, I'm not going to stay here and risk anything because I don't know what the fuck's going to happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, holy so shit. Like,
1: so there was like a mass exodus of like workers and like workforce, not only banana people, but just like in general, people were just like fucking out.
0: So it'd be like, um, it'd be like, let's just say, in Idaho, if the potato workers all decided they wanted to freaking, like, sh- stop working, and some big military zone happened, and basically half of Idaho here in the United States was turned into a militarized zone. Yeah, yeah, essentially, That's, yeah. Ah, wow. So with the excuse, that in Cienaga, the uh, the Cienaga, the strikers were committing all kinds of outrages. The army seized the train to mobilize troops to the different towns, preventing normal circulation. This information proved false and the train returned to Cienaga during the first hours of the next day. The community remained isolated and without the possibility to use the train as transportation means. The train was used by the militaries for the surveillance of plantations, so now they can't even use the damn trains to get in or out. Right. Jesus. A state of siege declaration was expected and this increased tension among strikers who organized collective bodies in different locations to prevent the work of producers. The tensions continued the train detention by the military and the impossibility to take bananas out due to the positions of the strikers and small landowners, the harvested fruit began to rot. So that so the product's not even leaving because these guys are right. striking against it and they're stopping it from leaving.
1: Right. If they got no one to work, they can't move the product. They can't chip it out. So it's literally, but you can see pictures too of just there's fucking mountains of bananas just sitting there because no one, there's nowhere for them to go. No one's moving them.
0: The workers' union used the newspaper uh, Vanguardia Obrera and other uh, Pasquanadas Pascua- ah, to inform about their position and to keep public opinion updated. On December 5th, alleging that the strikers had managed to get weapons, the government decreed the state of siege. This was not made public to the workers, and for this reason, they became more exacerbated. Oh, boy. A pressure mechanism used to obtain the support of merchants was the fact of creating solidarity to boycott the public market zones and other commercial firms if the transaction was not authorized by the workers' union. This way, merchants could not sell if they did not have the permission. To accomplish this uh, policy, the union had 5,000 workers acting as vigilantes. This situation led the UFC to ask the government if the state was in a a condition to protect its interests. So now they're... Jesus! Jesus! This is just escalating so quickly. The state response yeah, oh, was... Du- out of control, yeah. yeah, the state response was dubious. In its effort to reach an equilibrium between the pressure of the company that the, uh, and that of the workers, it submitted a communication where it stated that it would analyze the situation and would take corresponding steps. The workers' unrest for not feeling the state's support uh, not feeling the state support led them to ra- uh, radicalization of their protest. And since that moment, seizures of banana farms took place in different municipalities. There were confrontations between landowners, the military, and the workers. It is worth mentioning the events in Sevilla, or Sevilla, where workers detained a group of soldiers. So they actually detained the soldiers? That's fucking awesome. As the tension increased with this last event, and the Ministry Council dec- uh, declared general alteration of public order on December 5th, and gave special faculties to Minister Arizola to act as a mediator between the parties and position General Cortez Vargas as civil and military chief. This intervention was justified by the economic losses of the socioeconomic and political system of the nation because it had been estimated that up to that moment, the losses exceeded $1 million. This is back then in 19, what, 29. And given the fact that their fierce position of the workers had stopped communications and transportations, and even there had been seizures in several localities And there was fear concerning the situation of Santa Marta. That's one of the docs there, right? Yeah. The government sent information to the United Press as follows, quote, the government has decreed the state of siege in the province of Santa Marta, where the workers of the United Fruit Company maintain a strike lasting several days. General Carlos Cortez Vargas has been appointed civil and military chief, end quote. So they're sending that over to the United States, right? To let them know what's going on over there?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and basically, they're... uh you have like the government run kind of media and you have basically they're letting out what they want to let out and they're doing what they can to make it look like the workers are the problem. Like that like everything like we're trying to do whatever, but they're making it a big deal and they're making it worse. So they're kinda of like, you know, they're they're man in their own interests at that point too.
0: On the other hand, the national press and especially that of the Capitol announced, quote, There has never been a longer and more numerous strike in the country than this of the workers of Magdalena. Thirty two thousand workers have been in total inactivity for more than 30 days in the banana region. There are no signs this situation will have a favorable solution, end quote. Now, think about that, too. When we're talking about the strike, we're not talking about a couple hundred workers. We're talking 32,000 workers.
1: Yeah, that's, you know? like, that's like your whole city going on strike.
0: Right. It's like, <laughs> like all of Amazon like quitting. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. Amazon probably has a lot more than that. But still, yeah. you know, it's a shit ton of people. So like, it's, the
1: popula- like literally the population of like a lot of suburbs, like decent sized suburbs is around like 30 to 40,000 people. So like, think about like a decent sized suburb, like around here, like Strongville or like North Olmstead, something like that. Like that would be like that whole city just saying, fuck it, we're on strike.
0: Yeah. My, the city you I know? live in is, oh, I think we're, I think we only have either 27,000 maybe. Okay. So that, I mean, that's even close though. That Think about that. Yeah. That's, that's, you insane. know what I mean? Yeah, that's insane. So events reached their peak in Cienaga. The workers had concentrated for a Pacific demonstration in the evening of the 5th of December. The governor, Nunez Roca, decreed the dispersion of the demonstration. The workers did not receive this as well. They declared that authorities had taken their decision with the support of the UFC and the militaries without the presence of workers' representatives. This made clear to them that authorities were defending the interests of the company and the local... (laughs) (sighs) But this... they, They fucking... I know what they did here... Uh, bananocracy. <laughs> bananocracy. Ban- bananocracy. Bananocracy. I couldn't figure that one out either. I'm like, I don't even know how you would pronounce that. Bananocracy. Like, you can't just
1: add together. You can't just like.
0: <laughs> yeah, bananaocracy. I got it. Yeah, there it is. And not theirs. Bananocracy. Whatever. Whatever. And, and not theirs as Colombian workers. The concentration ended in a protest. Of course, they're basically trying to come to an agreement, but none of the representatives are theirs. They're like, this is bullshit. The militaries obeyed the orders of the governor and it was authorized to follow orders and demand the workers to dissolve the demonstration as it was not authorized. The text was read in the square and at the same time, the uh, the troops took their positions. There were approximately 1,500 strikers in the square. The army gave the strikers 15 minutes to disperse and the workers answered with a massive agitation of the Colombian flags and shouts related to the workers' movement. The army responded with drumbeats and the menace to repel the strikers. Three bugle warnings were given, but nevertheless, the strikers remained in their positions. A deep silence reigned in the square, and the menace of the army became an unfortunate reality when the shout, shoot, was uttered. Rifles and machine guns were discharged against the defenseless and unarmed demonstrators. In minutes, the ground of the square was tinted with blood. Oh my God, they just opened fire on them. Yep. Jesus. Once the attack of the army against their own fellow citizens ended, the site was just messed up. The cadavers, the Julia. the wounded, and their relatives were, uh, it was a troubling scene. These events took place at the dawn of December 6th, a brutal aggression against a workers' demonstration. The news invaded the media, and the first chronicles appeared with living information about the tragic balance of the events. The first report on the uh, newspaper La Prensa from oh, Barranquilla. Informed of eight, <laughs> informed of eight people killed and 20 wounded. After a week, the same newspaper mentioned 100 dead and 238 wounded. Meanwhile, official sources and diplomatic communications signaled the number of people killed as being 1,000. This number, and along with other kinds of testimonies collected, agree that the number of killings was over a thousand, and that the militaries loaded the trains with the corpses and buried them in mass graves in inaccessible areas and. Uh, Up to the present times, they have not been localized, so they never found them. That's wild. Wow. The repression caused a massive exodus of the terrified population. They abandoned the zone and migrated to different parts of the country for fear of military persecution and being arrested. Many of them left their scarce possessions behind. National and international media widely covered this event. Both the UFC and the government tried to manipulate the information to protect their image. Of course they did. The, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the press echoed and broadcasted the sometimes biased news, informing about combats between the army troops and the revolutionaries. Oh, now they're calling them revolutionaries. And that as a result of these combats, eight bandits mm-hmm, were killed and twenty were wounded. The war ministry insisted that, quote, in Magdalena there was no strike but a revolution. Yeah, you gotta spin it some way, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Whatever whatever you gotta do to make it work,
0: man. Right. Other newspaper, uh, newspapers such as uh, La Prensa um, from uh, Barranquilla issued their edition of December 8th in red characters as a reference to this event that brought mourning to the entire country and as a symbolic commemorative act. Referring to a communication sent to the United Press, the war ministry informed officially that in the attack of the strikers against the troops that uh, there had been eight dead and 20 wounded and that in order to control the revolutionary outbreaks against state order, the immediate mobilization of more troops had been ordered. They would arrive from cities on the interior of the country. It also emphasized the position of the government that the workers' situation in Magdalena was delicate and that vigorous decisions had to be taken in order to solve this issue. It also informed that uh, besides Cienaga, other localities had been intervened. So they're, of course, they're going to say only eight people. Like, you know, it sucks. Eight people were, you know, killed and 20 wounded. When you know out of, like, all these people that were there, they opened fire, only eight people died. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Yeah, the times from New like York. Like
1: I said, there was uh, there's there's letters sent by their government to our government, and some of them are fucked up, man. Can they talk about how like <clears throat> like uh like, it's been, like we're happy like we're happy to report that um only like two soldiers died, and like and like there's been a thousand death toll for whatever. Like they're basically saying like good news, we killed a thousand of them, and only like two of our soldiers got hurt.
0: That is absolutely crazy. fucking crazy, man. Yeah. The Times from New York informed in a basis and extended way that the turmoil in the Columbia banana region was provoked by Mexican incendiaries who had led the process of the Mexican revolutionary or revolution two decades earlier. It also gave details about the aspects, the aspects, Jesus, my mouth, aspects of the banana strike (laughs) strike that were consequences of the expiration of the Barco concession. So they're saying that this came from, you know, revolutionaries that came through here as opposed to actual strikers. At right. The, at the same time, the UFC issue... Is say what?
1: They're just kind of making shit up at this point, like right. just to make themselves not look so bad.
0: At the same time, the UFC... UFC again, that's United Fruit Company, not the, <laughs> not the UFC, the fighting <laughs> champions. That'd be hilarious. Dana White's like, I had nothing to do with this. At the same... <laughs> At the same time, the UFC issued a press communication to the New York agencies and the worldwide correspondents declaring, quote, the difficult situation experienced during the past days in the Colombian banana region, where the company has valuable interests, Uh uh-huh, has quite improved in the last 24 hours, and the dispatches sent from the scene give rise to the expectations for a prompt solution of the conflict surged between the workers and the company, which ended in an extended strike of revolutionary nature. Oh, yeah, of course, everything's going back because you just shot everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that that tends to happen when you just fire into a crowd of fucking 1,500 people and right. start mowing people down.
0: Yeah, like, I give up, okay. While the, <laughs> while the American press provided biased information trying to defend the multinational interest and that of the government, the national press analyzed the situation with greater objectivity. The daily newspaper El Tiempo from Bogota commented in an extended note that most of the claims of the strikers were righteous improvement of working conditions. Right, they, that's what they were asking for.
1: Yeah, they're they're basically these guys are saying, like, um there really wasn't anything crazy going on. They just wanted to be treated like human beings, you know. Like,
0: right. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. due to its conservative position, the editorial stated that they did not agree with the strike since they considered that the workers had a bad leadership and they made the leaders responsible for what had happened. They reminded the authorities that force is not the supreme reason as the only system to solve a conflict since violence is not a valid option to impose certain vindications. Agreed. You know, you don't have to resort yeah, to violence yeah, yeah. to do this, especially to this magnitude.
1: Right. Yeah. You want to basically saying like, look, they just wanted this. But at the same time, we don't necessarily agree with how they went about it and whatever. Right. But and- at the same time, they didn't really resort to violence. You know what I'm saying? Like they just wanted all their shit. They're like, we're not going to work till we get it. Right. And they were almost to me, they were pushed to it. Right. You know right. What I mean, like it wasn't, they were like, all right, look, if we don't get this, we're going to go out there and just fuck everybody up. It was more like, we're not going to work. It was just literally a simple strike. We're not going to work until we get this because we think this is fair. And then they were pushed to that point. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like to me, it's just like, well, you can say that and I get it. But at the same time, um, you know, they weren't really the ones that started the whole
0: thing. So, Yeah. Especially not the violent side of it. I mean, that's, that's just, no. yeah. In response right. to these events and as a protest for the massacre, several offices, of the United Fruit and Railway were set on fire and destroyed. The hard situation caused by the army repression and the lack of jobs led to the assault of the company stores where people seized food. Quote, it is not about fixing anyhow a difficult situation. It is about avoiding more critical events in the immediate future. Therefore, we need a wise, prudent, political Colombian who does not forget the circumstances regarding the conflict. Someone who does not not forget how the United Fruit Company manipulates the political and civil life of Magdalena and who does not think it's indispensable to send troops for hunting workers as animals. Someone who will not be hard and inflexible with them and subordinated and honey-mouthed with the company agents. Yeah, I mean, you you want someone that knows how to handle this tactfully.
1: Right, yeah, you need somebody that can.
0: Yeah. After the massacre, the workers who managed to escape immigrated to other regions of the region, uh, other areas of the region, sorry, and new versions of the event started to become public. It was the version of the defeated. The, this version informed the public opinion about the uh, concentration in the Cienaga Square and not in farms, as had uh, been informed by authorities, to justify the fact of not being able to notify the exact number of deaths. Yeah, because they were all in, in one area when this happened. Right. On December 10th, they and- weren't. The government
1: was basically, obviously lying about everything, and now, now, all the uh, the real story
0: essentially, like all the details, are starting to come out. Yeah, because people are actually talking. Yeah, they, they, they rolled out. Now they're like, oh, we're going to tell you what really happened. On December 10th, after a convulsed weekend, the headings announced the revolu- quote, the revolution. F- my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the revolutionaries flee in stampede to the Sierra Nevada and uh, government troops completely defeated the strikers. The war minister informs that there were more deaths during the last combats. In general, the press informed about a revolutionary movement which confronted the military forces and that the army was responding uh, with rigor, but uh, there had uh, not been any excess on their part. The banana zone was returning to normal, as well as the train service between Cienaga and Santa Marta and the steamboat service between Cienaga and Barranquilla. They also informed that since public order had been reestablished, businesses had already opened and the exodus of the population had ended. General Cortez Vargas issued a decree through which the revolutionaries of Magdalena were declared a gang of outlaws. The decree consisted of three articles, and in one section, as a justification, it was stated that the rebel strikers committed all kinds of outrages, arson in public and private property, pillage, interruption of telegraphic and telephonic communications, destruction of railways, assault of citizens who did not agree with their communist and anarchist doctrine, so they're, be, they're blaming them for all this shit. When, weren't they the ones that, like, shut down all the communications? So, right. So essentially, um, you know, the big picture is you're looking at they, they started the strike,
1: and then the government got involved. All this shit went down. And, uh, you know, they said that there was, you know, there was a lot of fighting. And remember when they said that uh, some of the workers basically turned soldier? Right. This is the people that they're talking about now. Like, those, basically, those workers that kind of turned into soldiers. And we started to fight back and like burn down the food companies, warehouses, like shit like that. That's the people they're talking about now.
0: I gotcha. Okay. So with this, the justification. Not not just the general strikers. These are the people that actually
1: like when they got pushed far enough, they took it to that next level.
0: Right. So this was the justification for decreeing martial law to give security to citizens and to reestablish public order. On the other hand, the workers, leaders, and accessories should be prosecuted to face their responsibilities. And to finish, the public force was authorized to use their guns. At the same time, troops were sent to avoid the surviving strikers' flee. Um, uh, Wait, hold on. Oh, they were trying to stop them from fleeing into uh, Sierra Nevada and the Department of Atlantico. To accomplish this, all the towns neighboring the banana zone were alerted. Numerous detentions occurred, and the prisoners were sent to Cienaga to be judged by a martial court. That is absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, all this shit went down because of fucking bananas, man.
0: Yeah, it's just crazy. So the crazy thing is United Fruit Company continued to operate and did so long after this incident uh, until eventually after the uh, suicide of Eli Black. That's when that happened because that happened in the, the, what was it, the, the 50s? 70s. 70s. 73. Yeah.
1: So United Fruit Company basically was the reason for all of this crazy shit that went down And they fucking stuck around for another, like, 50, actually, fucking 70
0: years after this. Right, until 70 years, like 60 years. Until that guy did a swan dive out of the building.
1: Until that dude, until that dude, yeah, and then all that other crazy shit came out, and it was like, hmm, I think it's finally time to, uh," you know, and and you got to think that the company at that point was like, look, we need to figure some shit out, because not only did we do all this horrible shit back in the day, now all this other shit's coming out, we should probably figure something out here. Right. Well, it's a good. And they they end up dissolving, and but you know. Yeah, it's a good thing. It turns into something else, though.
0: But they're all they're done now, right? Ever since Eli Black died, right? Like they're done. Well, kind of. Except they're not, because now they're Chiquita, and we all know Chiquita bananas. In fact, I will guarantee that the majority of our listeners have probably eaten probably dozens of Chiquita bananas. Oh yeah. And but listen, but at least all the bullshit's over with, right? Like that's done, right? Oh yeah, you know they don't do that kind of stuff anymore, right? Um, actually, while Chiquita is not actively massacring people anymore in 2007, it admitted <laughs> to paying 1.7 million dollars to the United Self Defense Forces of Colombia, a far-right paramilitary group responsible for thousands of killings and some of the worst massacres in Colombia. The AUC. Was designated by the United States as a terrorist group at the time, and Chiquita was forced to pay $25 million for violating counter uh, counterterrorism laws. In particular, <laughs> the AUC targeted labor leaders, liquidating problem employees, and removed people from lands needed for cultivation. I like how it says "liquidated problem employees." Yeah, yeah, more like yeah. Li- hey, liquefied. Hey, they fucking
1: killed them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Quote. They are so bad that in 2001, even the Bush administration was forced to designate them as a terrorist organization, said Terry Collinsworth, (laughs) a labor and human rights attorney. He proceeds to say that the multinational corporations had automatically aligned with the AUC. Quote, they've made it safe for business here. That's what they do. Collinsworth states um, from his and his associates reporting that Chiquita likely paid much more than $1.7 million to the AUC. Oh, yeah, over much. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: you know, you know there was way more money than oh, that yeah,
0: going around for sure. Over much, uh, much of the 20th century, banana companies like United Fruit effectively took over governments in countries like Guatemala and Honduras, leading to the country's model being known as banana republics. A banana republic would describe politically unstable countries economically dependent on bananas as a sole export and product, and has been diversified to include uh, include other limited resource products. So think about that so, when you guys are shopping at Banana it, Republic again.
1: I was going to say, is it just me or is it fucked up that there's like a whole chain of stores called Banana Republic?
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's considering where it stems from, like that's in bad taste, man. Ugh. Yeah, oh, absolutely, man. So the CIA would strong arm these governments to protect the business interests of banana companies at the expense of workers and people who lived in those countries, often popping up repressive regimes. With a uh, historic priority of keeping the cost of bananas low... Banana companies were willing to do whatever it took to keep prices low, from stifling labor movements, keeping wages low, and strong-arming governments. United Fruit Company did it then, and Chiquita Brands does it now. In 1999, President Clinton apologized to Guatemala, saying that, quote, support for military forces and intelligence units, which engaged in violence and widespread repression, was wrong, and the United States must not repeat that mistake.
1: Yeah, so our government in 99 literally came out and was like, yeah, sorry about the whole banana thing.
0: Like, that's how fucking bad it got, dude. That is fucking crazy. Yeah. And now, boys and girls, it's your favorite part of the show the movie review. Which upset movies will make the cut today? So let's stay with the banana thing here. And we're going to talk. Note, yeah. That is still so goddamn loud over the
1: phone. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It started playing. I was like, "Fuck!"
0: <laughs> That's good. Keep you awake. So it let's is. let's talk about the movies. We have ten hilarious horror 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 movies about killer yeah. food, and I definitely know of at least two of these that have to be on this list. And this comes I've, from
1: I've seen almost all of them. Too, have by you? The way. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah.
0: These are like B movies and shit. Of course, right? Oh yeah. So this good is from tough, Screen man. Rant. So should be pretty good. So let's see here. Number ten on our list: The Ice Cream Man. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's uh, what's his face's brother, Cliff Howard. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's yep. uh, Ron Howard's brother. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, Ice Cream yeah. Man takes the killer flu- killer food trope into different territory. Instead of literally biting back, the sweet treat at the center of Ice Cream Man becomes a vehicle for one madman's cannibalistic fantasies. The madman here is Cliff Howard who plays the titular scooper Titler. titular Titler. titler <laughs> whatever titular I, I like titular a slasher at titular. heart <laughs> at slasher at heart ice cream man is the quintessential tacky b movie thanks to its campy tone it maintains a large cult following i don't know if i've ever seen this
1: i've uh, i've caught like parts of it i've never seen like that i do the whole movie though
0: yeah that's crazy that ron howard's brother's in there that's so awesome Uh, Number nine, Dead Sushi from 2012. Uh, Definitely not seen this one. Definitely
1: not seen this one, yeah.
0: Oh, Uh, that was weird. Yeah, Keiko works at a rural Japanese inn rolling sushi for cruel, demanding clients. None are as mean as the president of Kamatsu Pharmaceuticals who is on vacation with his colleagues. The president is so mean, in fact, that one of his disgruntled employees follows him to the inn to exact revenge. The Kamatsu employee, Yamada, uses a special serum to make all the sushi come alive with murderous (laughs) intentions. (laughs) Dude, i got to see this one. Yeah, I've definitely not seen that one. Uh, Let's see, number eight, Poultry Geist. I've definitely seen this one. Oh, my God. Oh, it's a trauma movie. Of course you have.
1: It is fucking,
0: like, it's ridiculous, dude. Uh, Like, if you've got a weak stomach
1: and you are like, weird, gory shit, like, don't see it. Really? Is that bad? Oh, it's fucking weird and gross.
0: Cold horror figure Lloyd Kaufman is behind Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead, a fast food fiasco with B-movie musical trappings. Kaufman, co-founder of Troma Entertainment Film Studio, is known for a tasteless, over-the-top horror fare like this. Poultry Geist explores what happens when American chicken bunker, um, uh, wait, American Chicken Bunker builds a new franchise on an old Native American burial ground. Instead of chicken nuggets or fried chicken sandwiches, enter a legion of singing chicken zombies. Get the. Fuck out. Dude, it's amazing. It's pretty awesome. I have not seen it. It's from 2006. Yeah, it's, it's relatively new. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. Number seven on the list is The Gingerbread Man from 2005. The picture is horrifying. Is it, wait, 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 wait. Is it Gingerbread Man? Oh, I'm sorry. The Ginger Dead Man. Yeah. <laughs> so what's better than an anthropomorphic gingerbread cookie with severe bloodlust? How about a murderous gingerbread cookie voiced by Gary Busey? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ginger dead man <laughs> takes child's play motifs into the realm of baked goods. Busey voices the t- uh, the tit- titular villain who is possessed by the spirit of Durain's New Jersey serial killer named Millard Findelmeyer. What is this? Yeah, it's amazing. I have never heard of this before. I've seen this one too. I've got to check it out. Is it, it's it, literally, it's like child's play, but with a fucking gingerbread man. Is it, is it as stupid as it sounds? Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. I have to see that then. Number <laughs> Number six, food of the gods. When a mysterious substance uh, bubbles up from the ground on a remote island off British Columbia, local farmers willingly feed the magic elixir to their chickens. It turns out the grub transforms anything that eats it into a monstrous, aggressive giant. So giant <laughs> chickens is what's happening with this? A, ch- a giant, monstrous chicken, yes. Okay, I have not seen that one either. Have you seen that also one? I also have not seen that one. Okay. No, I have not seen that one. Sounds fun. I've never fun. heard of it until this. Uh, number five, have seen this one. It's uh, from 1985. It's The Stuff. Yeah, it's a great movie. Borrowing a few plot points from Food of the Gods, The Stuff begins with a thick white substance bubbles when it bubbles up out of the ground when someone catches on to its delectable fla- uh, flavor it's quickly commodified and marketed as america's next dessert craze people can't get enough of the stuff but the stuff can't get enough of them what's worse ah. yeah what's worse the stuff is actually an alien substance that transforms uh, transforms people into zombies Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Oh. yeah i've seen this one it's hokey but it's fun yeah. it's a fun movie it's fun yeah Probably the best one on this list, definitely so far, is uh, number four, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. From 1978. It's so good and so stupid. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is. is a classic killer food movie. So classic, it launched an entire franchise as it's a title suggests Remember the cartoon? oh yeah attack of the so killer like, tomatoes you, yeah you see, like a saturday
1: morning cartoon for a while. yeah
0: as it uh, the title suggests tomatoes rebel against humans in this film rising out of garbage disposal salads and ketchup bottles the film's <laughs> action culminates when all the killer tomatoes are cornered in a giant stadium where people stomp them to death <laughs> turn so them in the sauce dumb, but it's amazing dude. it's it is it's so funny uh, number number three, I, I don't know why this is on this list, but killer clowns from outer space? Because they use the popcorn
1: gun and they uh, put them in uh, cotton candy cocoons. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So it says cotton candy is ruined for life in killer clowns from outer space. The wrinkled, buffoonish aliens who look like the mutated circus clowns use cotton candy cocoons to capture the humans they plant to eat, plan to eat. With their crazy straws, go. the killer clowns suck up all their savory victims stuck inside the cotton candy. This is a far cry from the airy, sugary carnival delicacy enjoyed by people far and wide. Yeah, I forgot about that part of it. And what a goofy movie, too. Oh, it's so good, too, though. Number two from 1991, The Refrigerator. I've never heard of this one. All right. Instead of food, the refrigerator sees the appliance uh, uh, people rely on to preserve their meals turning against them. Set in New York City, the film centers around an apartment whose fridge is a gateway to hell. The, insati- no, <laughs> the insatiable gadget consumes one tenant after the next. Satan also brings the other kitchen appliances to life in hopes they will bring him more victims. What? Yeah, never heard of that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, sounds, Num- it sounds pretty awesome, though. Really. Yeah. Number one for sure. 2008 killing. Does anyone? Yeah. You've seen this one for sure, right? I have seen it, yes. Yeah. Does anyone really take the time to think, turkey, <laughs> to think about where that Thanksgiving turkey comes from? Thanks, Killing won't answer heady questions like this, but it will make those who watch it cackle over just how trashy it is. A foul-mouthed, evil turkey whose reign of terror traces back to the pilgrims goes after a group of college kids trying to enjoy their fall break. Instead, the axe-wielding bird does a, uh, does all it can to spoil the festive mood in what makes one of the most absurd absurd, absurd Thanksgiving horror movies of all time. Yeah, and it's perfect for today yeah. because, hey, it's Thanksgiving.
1: This is our Thanksgiving episode, baby. Yeah,
0: that's perfect. That is a number one on the movies list. Yeah. You got uh, any plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, we're going to my mom's house, so we're just hanging out. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to make some some footage here in uh here at the house and probably have the kids come over that's about it low-key low-key hopefully everyone out there yeah, has so a good you're one
1: at, you're at the point and the age where like you are the parent's house that you go to for
0: i know it's <laughs> and it sucks it does it sucks so bad like normally it's like everyone else makes the food and i just go over there and eat it and now it's like i guess i'm the one who's making it and they're coming over to eat it you know what i mean
1: yeah, I'm still at the, uh, I'm going to someone else's house, fuck all this
0: noise. Yeah, but I'm going to be, going to start brining my turkey tomorrow, so it'll be good. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we're making, like, fresh yams and fresh mashed taters and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm
1: making, I'm making the mashed potatoes to bring to, to, to mom's house, so. Nice. You, I, you I know, offered to, to make something, and she's, uh, I was like, uh, oh, Giant Eagle, so, all right, full disclosure, the only reason I did it, really, is because Giant Eagle had a sale. On 10-pound bags of potatoes, it was buy one, get one free. So I'm like, I guess I'm getting
0: 20 pounds of fucking potatoes. There it is. You don't put, like, uh, sour cream in yours, do you?
1: Mm, no, sometimes I do. It's usually uh, it's usually just the basics. A little bit of cream, you know, some butter, salt, garlic powder, you know.
0: That's it. That's all you need right there. Yep. That's yeah. all you need.
1: Yep. So listen, passengers. Now, a question, question for you ahead. real yeah. quick. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No. Because this can be a point of contention for people. Yeah. Mashed potatoes. Skins on or skins off?
0: Uh, see, I like it both ways. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, all right. But I do. But I do. I'll eat them either way. Me too. But I, uh, I'm a skins-on guy. I like that texture, you know. So uh, I don't like mine too smooth. Like you can't have your your mashed potatoes can't be like too smooth got to so be like, like,
1: them like whipped. You don't like them like whipped
0: potatoes, right? I, I want mine to have like some chunk to it. Now I'm not talking like you know big ass pieces. I'm talking like I, I still want yeah some texture to it. You know what I mean? I want some. I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Oh, got yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're also uh, going to be making our own cranberry sauce. Mm. Ooh. And then we're I'm not a fan of cranberry. I love cranberry, dude. Oh my god, I love, yeah. I love it with with the turkey. Oh, it's so good. And then we're yeah. doing um. Let's see, uh, some brie bites. Homemade stuffing, or are you doing stovetop? Pfft, homemade, baby. Oh, all right, all yeah, right. we're doing everything homemade, so that means I'm going to be up super freaking early on Thursday, which sucks <laughs> because Wednesday <laughs> is the busiest bar night of the year, so I'll probably be there yeah, all so night Yeah, you're going to
1: be out super late on Wednesday and then up super early on uh
0: Right. That sounds like <laughs> so much fun. Cooking all day long just for the kids to come over, eat everything, and then leave. <laughs> sounds amazing. Right,
1: you know what, though? At least you don't have to do everything and then leave. You can stay at home, get fucked up, eat some turkey.
0: Oh, that's true. Put the uh, put the uh, Lions game on, take a nap afterwards. Yeah. yeah, watch the
1: football and just hang out, man. You yeah. ain't
0: got to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you know my family?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so listen, passengers, we hope you enjoyed your ride with us on this uh, this listener recommendation of the Banana Massacre, crazy story, had no idea about. Um, just yeah, it was definitely weird, man. Absolutely wild. And the, the worst part about it to me is that there were like no repercussions to it.
1: Seemingly. Yeah. Nothing. It was just kind of like spun as a, uh, as a coup and that the workers were assholes and right. It's like everything kind of got buried and we have Chiquita bananas today.
0: Right. And, and so, so remember that you guys have heard of blood diamonds. We also have blood bananas. Blood bananas. Blood bananas. So listen, if you guys, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a, a bonus on the, um, uh, what, what did I say earlier? Uh, the Bay of Pigs. Maybe we'll do a bonus on the Bay, Bay of Pigs. Pigs yes, yeah. Yeah, so if you guys want to sign up Pigs. for Patreon, listen to that, support the show. Next week, we're actually going to be talking about something kind of weird. The um, the yeah. Lake, Lake Michigan Triangle, which what? I didn't know was a thing either. And it's mm-hmm. insane. I didn't know
1: until you told me, So
0: Yeah, and it's what's weird is that I guess there's like more stuff has happened there than at the actual Bermuda Triangle. So we're That's gonna. What I have seen so far. Yeah, we're gonna dive into that. So that should be fun. So make sure you are subscribing wherever you listen. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe wherever they listen, so that way you guys can get that notification yep. next week when yep. that one drops. Make sure to stop over to our official website, the MidnightTrainPodcast dot At our website, you can buy some super sweet merchandise. Super sweet. Where you can find our Duke of Fingerbum shirt the super <laughs> The super popular "Don't Be a DeSalvo shirt, the switchblade wielding jersey raccoon shirt, hat, uh, hats, phone cases, and so much more over there. And uh, you know, it supports the show, and you guys can walk around looking really awesome because I mean, they are awesome. I love. Yeah,
1: you're gonna look great. I you love my. What? You should wear. You should wear a midnight train shirt to all of your
0: holiday functions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe I should design real fast a Christmas uh, midnight train shirt. A
1: Christmas? A midnight train Christmas shirt? Yes. Yeah, we should. We should get something like that.
0: Yeah. All right. It's on the list. I'll do that. So listen, speaking of Christmas, you know it will also make a great Christmas gift. Dr. Squatch soap. Yeah. Yay! Dr. Squatch is changing the way men approach hygiene by providing <laughs> <laughs> all-natural, no, providing all high-quality, healthy products, bar soaps, hair care, colognes, beard oils, and more that make you feel like a man and smell like a champion. And listen, women use it too, right? Your wife uses it.
1: Yeah, they, My wife does use it too, yeah.
0: Yeah. All soaps and products are made right here in the U.S. using the finest all-natural ingredients, not cheaply made or harmfully mass-produced. I absolutely love the shit. Get 20% off your first subscription, just head on over to the midnight forward slash sponsors and click on the banner and use promo code DSC Squatch 20. To get the best damn soap, and it really is—it's awesome. Man. And I can't—I actually just re-upped my subscription um, this month. So nice, yeah. Nice. Getting some. I
1: just—I uh, broke out a new bar today. Yeah. or Yesterday, I don't know. Whenever I showered last, I don't know.
0: Yeah, four days ago. <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, uh, it's, 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 it's. Do you remember they did the space theme thing where they had like different uh, space stuff? So I did. Uh, I got one that's called Mars Bar. It's oh, awesome, nice! It wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. It smells great. So do us a favor and stop over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and give us a five-star review, please. You know, we're worth it, right? I mean, you've listened this far. Follow, like, subscribe, or whatever the hell you could do there, and you'll get each episode, as I said earlier, as they are released. And listen, the best thing you guys can do to help keep steaming our engines is just tell your friends. Spread the word. Let them know about the show. Let them know that, hey, these guys are informative. They're funny, hopefully. (laughs) And the, the host is a mush mouth today, and I apologize for that. I'm very – I don't have anything to drink with me. I was down here trying to get everything ready to go, and so I'm, like, super <laughs> cottonmouth right now. So, like, yeah. as, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm like – get that ASMR going for you guys. Yeah, it's weird and gross. <laughs> so, yeah. if you like like to hear from us, listen, consider being a producer of the show by heading over to the Midnight Train Podcast, dot, podcast, podcast.com, and clicking on the Patreon button, or go to patreon.com forward slash the Midnight Train Podcast, for as little as five bucks a month, you can get all kinds of shit like custom shirts, custom posters, custom stickers, bonus episodes, and way more. And do not forget to email us at the midnight train podcast at gmail.com with your address so we can send you your stickers out because we've got this thing going on yeah, once a had month. We've got a couple
1: of people, yes. a couple of people get in touch with
0: us. Yeah. So we, we've got people right now hitting us up. So I got stickers coming out probably the first of next week. They'll be going out. Put it everywhere and you take a picture of the most obscure place you can. Send that picture but, to us, and we'll pick somebody once a month.
1: We've got we've got a uh, we got an inside track on uh, where somebody will be putting theirs, and if they get it done, y'all are going to have some competition. So you better be bring your A game.
0: Yeah, it's you definitely have to think of some really cool spots. So make sure you do that. You know what I mean. And like I said, if you're a diehard Midnight Train fan and you really want to help produce this show, uh, become a Patreon. You know what I mean. Become a Patreon pooper because we love our poopers. Yeah. Most importantly, Absolutely. share the Midnight Train with everyone because word of mouth is how we're going to keep you know, getting more passengers and how this train is going to continue to bring you more weekly episodes. Now, listen, you know, regardless if it's the holiday or if not everyone can be here or, you know, I am feeling a little bit under the weather, whatever it is, we're still here and we're still going to, you know, put a weekly episode out no matter what we have to do. We, yeah, we're, th- we're doing our best. Yeah, we try. I think we've only missed what one week, one time, I think. And
1: we still, we still put something out though. I think we still did like a, uh,
0: it was like a best was of week we, we did
1: like the best of or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we put something together. So. Right. We're always like, we'll always be here for you guys. And we know that, you know, the times have messed up because of whatever, but once a week, it still will come out no matter what, like, like th- through everything, you know what I mean? We, we will yeah. be here for you guys. Cause you guys are here for us. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, YouTube, just look up the midnight train podcast. You will find us on there. And we cannot thank you all enough for your love and support we've received. Thank you all so much for listening. And now a very special thank you to our fearless Patreon poopers. How loud was that? Um, Extremely. <laughs> to Stacey Luconan, Nicholas Cooper, Caitlin McKenney, Trent Scott, John and Kate Descharnay. Desjarnay. There it is. Where are you, where are you doing? Spencer Dunlap. I'm
1: sorry, there's like a delay. That's
0: why like... <laughs> If you guys are listening to this and, like, you hear John talking and then he just, like, stops for a second, it's because
1: there's, like, a delay and I'm, like, 10 seconds behind.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all right. We, we still love you. To To uh, Jacob yeah. Cook, Maggie Brothers, Albert Lopez, Miles Campbell, Brian Gunzelman, Margaret Atkins, Colleen Cox, Pumpkin Escobar, who, if I'm not mistaken, it was her. Um, uh, she sug- was the one that suggested it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, to Mac Doherty, Turner Cox, Sydney Sayer, Gina Madison, Janet Shirell, uh, Laura Randall, Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from the Fun Box podcast. Please check out the Fun Box. Dude's funny as shit. Christina Skelton and Jessica LeMay from the Sister Skelton podcast. We love those ladies. Make sure you check them out as well. To Maria yep. Gibbs, Chainsaw. I don't have the button in front of me. You're not here, so I can't. Can you just do the no. noise? What the fuck? There it is. To jigsaw, Rick Resler, Courtney Batchelor, Katie Brabinick, and our boy Bill Birch. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for all of your support. You have no idea how much it means to us. So spread the word if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for us to be forever grateful. Become a Patreon pooper like the rest of those beautiful people whose names we just mentioned. So listen, have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Eat lots of turkey, you know, drink lots of booze. Be safe. You know, tell Miller high life that we said hi. Moody, you want to say anything before we go, man? Anything you're thankful for? Um well, uh, yeah, I mean, everything, uh, everything that I have, really,
1: because uh, the Lord knows I don't deserve any of it, but <laughs> uh, I guess, I, I guess instead of the, the choo-choo motherfucker that you always say, you could say that still, but I'm going to say this. Happy Thanksgiving, motherfuckers.
0: I like that one. I like that one. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Uh, you know what? Now I have, to, <laughs> I have to do it now. Choo-choo, motherfuckers. I'll go home and get your fucking shine box.